within 30 seconds, no, 15 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds of the music starting, my jaw was on the floor. All of a sudden, this friend who I would have sworn 10 times over I was sexier than was now the sexiest thing I had ever seen on two legs. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was, it was like the whole world just kind of went and it flipped completely upside down. And it slammed into me like a Mack truck. And I, I thought, oh my God, what a, what a lie have I been living? And if that's a lie, what else is a lie? I mean, it changed molecularly who I was that moment. So let me ask you something. What was the revelation in that moment? Like, yeah, I get the lie. Like I get the, the, but I'm wondering what was it for you that was the lie? The lie was what I had been sold about what beauty was, Ah. about what female power was, about what sexuality and sensuality really was. Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Revelation Project podcast. Today, I'm with Alexis Arton, who is a leading success coach, an international speaker and writer, trained in neurolinguistic programming, and is a master embodiment teacher, fully immersed in the Demartini method. She's been seen on Fox, Thrive Global, Entertainment Tonight, and more. Alexis has spent the last two decades propelling people towards their personal and professional best. After working with many A-list celebrities across the board in television and film, Alexis transitioned her passion and skill set for fostering potential and obtaining results into the world of self-development and transformation. She worked side-by-side with many of the most revered thought leaders, bringing personal growth to the global stage, and was the driving force behind expanding one of the largest and most respected female empowerment companies. This inspired her to channel her expertise into creating a coaching practice, serving her clients across the globe. Alexis teaches others to embrace their knowing, connecting mind, body, heart, and soul. Her powerful coaching gives her clients true and lasting transformation from the inside out. An ICF certified professional coach and energy leadership master practitioner, Alexis is also co-founder of the Free Body Practice and a hypnotherapist. Welcome, Alexis. Thank you so much. God, I'm sitting here listening to all of that. I'm like, oh, I did do all that, didn't I? <laughs> oh, that's me. I know. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? When we can kind of hear ourselves mirrored back to ourselves. Yeah, it's pretty wild. I love it. So I know that you're at home where here we are kind of in the pandemic and you've got two little ones. What's it been like for you? It has been a roller coaster. I'm pleased to report that everybody has been healthy for the most part during this. My my mother actually had COVID, but she recovered well, thankfully. So 
the most important thing is that everybody, you know, in my immediate circle has, has stayed healthy through this, but it has been a challenge with homeschooling and working from home and, and juggling all of that uh, has been, has been challenging. And also my parents do live really far. So we haven't been able to, to see them for, for over a year now. So, yeah, it's so interesting that you just bring that up because my kids are so much older, but it occurs to me how so many families must really kind of feel isolated in that way where, you know, as a culture, we kind of have individualized so much that we don't do family the way so many cultures around the world do, where raising the kids is like, you know, a community effort. And of course, I think so many parents feel that tremendous challenge and now get why. (laughs) Not that we didn't before, but even in a more magnified way, like why, why do we do things this way? Because it just does take a village. It takes, you know, I think multiple people in our lives to help us really raise our families. It's true. And I, I knew that going into my, my first foray into parenting before I had my first son, I had this inherent knowing that it was going to take a village. It was almost as if I foresaw that I was going to have massive postpartum depression. Mm hmm. I had been exposed to it with, with friends of mine uh, who, you know, luckily coming from the world of empowerment and personal transformation and people being really authentic and honest and owning their experience, people were very forward and open with me about their journey into parenthood, particularly women who found it very challenging. And it is, it's a huge transition. That said, yeah, I, I knew that, that it was, it was going to take a village. And so I decided to, to borrow a village, to buy a village, to <laughs> barter for a village, to bargain for a village, whatever I needed to do in order to get that village in place before that baby came, I did it. I still had massive postpartum depression, but I was at least slightly prepared for it. Yeah, I experienced postpartum as well. And so, but unlike you, I had no forewarning. Mm. You know, and it really, it's funny, we ended up just kind of launching right into this conversation because last night I was thinking actually about the time in 11 years ago in my life where we kind of had a, you know, that I guess at that time it was like the real estate crash, right? Where everything kind of came crashing down. And that was when I had kind of my dark night of the soul and Mm. had my big major awakening. But what I was thinking about was I had been hearing recently from all of these people who have smaller children who are just really feeling so on the edge and so hard on themselves for being at that place where they're just so ready to, you know, have things be different than they are right now, where they feel so kind of trapped and isolated day after day. And I think at some time, at some levels, powerless to kind of help their kids cope when they're feeling this way. And I was remembering back to that time and I was just thinking about how that time was so so difficult and so trying because the kids were so small but I remembered too that they kept reminding me what was important it was like they were mm. constantly saying to me like stay present mom you know there's no suffering in the present wow and it's funny yeah and I I remember them kind of coming in from outside like with a treasure from nature or something and I would just be on the edge of despair and they would kind of be like and I and I was just thinking about when we're not in our bodies in this present moment we can tend 
tend to project out into the future, into like what's going to happen, you know, and how is this going to all turn out? And instead of just being right here, right now, we kind of perpetuate that feeling of suffering by by being somewhere else. Yeah, I, I love where that leads us because there's something that I studied for quite a long time, or at least different parts and pieces that really all came together in, in studying with Dr. John Martini. this concept of the soul body and it, how paradoxical the soul and the body are, that they're these complementary opposites, that the soul chose the body to have an embodied experience, but the body is like an animal. The body is this very base level, primal, instinctual being that only knows threat. It only knows predator or prey, survive and thrive or go into like go from rest and digest to fight or flight. That is the body's way of navigating itself because it has an expiration date. It has to find ways to sustain itself by going after what it wants. And it has to find ways to avoid its expiration. So it's avoiding any threat. Whereas the soul is scientifically made of light. Mm -hmm. If you study the science of the soul. And what do we know about light? Light's energy. What do we know about energy? It's neither created nor destroyed. It just changes form. So the soul doesn't understand fear. It doesn't understand threat. It doesn't understand the language of the body, the fear of the body, the way of the body. And so you have these complementary opposites cohabitating. Inside of like an embodied experience, people say, you know, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But the spirit and the body are, are opposites. So they're either going to be in conflict or they're going to be in complement. And so when we're in this future forecasting and we're in fear or, you know, some people call it future tripping, whatever, and we're not present and we're not in our body or we are too much in our body and not enough in our spirit is more to the point then we're going to lose that sense of certainty that comes from the soul and drop into the uncertainty that's inherent to the body. And so when we're in this state of threat, panic, fear, desperation, all of that is coming from the body. And when we tap into our spiritual center, our enlightenment, like if the body is an animal, the spirit is the angel. If we tap that, we will come back into alignment of the body and the soul serving each other. And we will bring balance where there's imbalance too much in the body means I'm not tapping into the certainty that comes from the soul. I love that, Alexis. It immediately makes me want to ask you, is it you know, you talk about tapping in and I, and I want to, for our listeners and also for myself, ask you kind of about how many times a day, we, you know, do we forget to tap in? Constantly. It's constant, right? Constantly. It's moment to moment to moment to moment. We, you know, in our animal bodies or, you know, our, when we're more in our human nature, we're either moving towards 
something or away from something, towards something we want, away from something that we don't want. And as soon as we do that, we're out of balance. We don't, you know, what we don't want is still there. And what we do want is still there. Both are always there. So it's about realizing that, as Dr. G. Martini would say, challenges aren't on, aren't in the way, they're on the way. Got it. Right? Threat is inherent, as is sustenance. But it's about realizing that any time you are feeling an imbalance pulled or pushed in one direction or another, you're out of homeostasis. And homeostasis is the scientific word for imbalance restored to our natural state of being. Natural state of being is one of gratitude and grace. There it is. There's that grace word. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's who and what we're actually made of. You know, the design of our bodies, our bodies are like a super suit. They're designed to align with the soul and to give us cues when we're not in alignment. And so those many bodily cues that we feel, that discomfort, that dis-ease, that, you know, noticing I'm not breathing right now, or I'm feeling torn, or, you know, I'm feeling uncomfortable, that's that signal that you're not in alignment in that moment. And I'm making up that it's the breath that brings us back into that present moment. The breath is definitely a tool. Mm -hmm. The breath is a tool. But I would actually venture to say that it's the mind and the heart that are the bridge between the body and the soul. Yeah. And they will bring us into alignment or they will throw us out of alignment. So the mind, I look at the mind like the matrix, the Mm -hmm. movie, the matrix. Mm -hmm. I call it our mind matrix. And it really is, you and I have talked before about programming and how when we're very young, most of our programming is, is set in. Because when you're young and you don't have resources and you don't, you're powerless, you are thrust into a world where you have to live by the values of the people who are caring for you. Mm-hmm. If you want to survive, let alone thrive in their world. I mean, how do you know what your name is? How do you know your name is Monica? Yeah, I mean, I was called Monica my whole life. Somebody told you. Somebody told you who you were. It, mm-hmm. You didn't decide. It was thrust upon you. Mm-hmm. And you accepted it because how could you not? You were powerless. You didn't have resources. You, none of those things. If you had to respond to the name that you were called by, otherwise you wouldn't get your dinner, right? So there's so much about who we are that was prescribed to us. And we didn't really have a choice or a wherewithal to be empowered to make other decisions and live into those decisions for ourselves. So then we get older and we don't even question that we're still going by the same name. And is that the name that, is that really my name or is that a name that somebody prescribed to me? And the same thing is true with all of our values and all of our belief systems. So anytime something quote unquote unwanted happened to us when we were children, we created a whole story about how we were responsible for that happening to some degree or another, how we were the threat to ourselves, how we were going to, in the future, never be that threat again. And we internalize a whole story about who we need to be and how we need to be in order to stay safe, in order to get love, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the mind matrix gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It's not real. 
right? It was put upon us. It was constructed for us. But we also have to take responsibility to realize how much of that is an illusion and let it dissolve so that we can create our own. And that is that that is when we, we truly have the power to live in alignment between our body and our spirit. Well, and you just described the revelation project, but in your way, which is really great, because, you know, it really is about revealing the truth of who you are, not the matrix, not the mind matrix, not the prescribed way of being. And, you know, when we're in alignment, we're able to kind of reveal a whole new world that really gives us access to all of these portals. So whether it's the breath or a new way to create, a new way to think, a new way to imagine, a new way to be embodied, a new name. So I think it's it's interesting how everybody describes kind of the the conditioning or what I call the training ground in different ways. And I love the way that you just described it. And I told you, Alexis, that I talk a lot about what I call the trance, Mm -hmm. the trance of unworthiness. And of course, for women, and I know that a lot of your work is specifically with women, I'd love to just check in with you about more, more deeply about your work, what you what's kind of your favorite part of your work and why women? Let me ask you that first. Mm, Yeah. Favorite part. Oh, that's so hard. I don't know. Well, which part lights you up? Yes. I love every corner of what I do, but I created it that way. So it, you know, it's Sophie's choice there because I, I love my embodiment work with free body and I, and I, and I love my coaching and I, you know, I mean, I bring everything together always, whoever I'm in front of, but be really, really hard to, to pick a corner, if you would. But with women in particular, I actually fell into my enlightenment around working with women and the importance of shining a light in that direction. I, I'll tell you the story of... Please, yeah that really encapsulates a how that light turned on for me and and b how that light actually from that story spreads throughout all the work that I have done since so i was a dancer growing up my whole life i started dancing when i was you know 4 or 5 and i've always been into embodiment and into movement practices and emotional expression and creativity and all of those things. And when I was in my thirties, late twenties, early thirties, living in Los Angeles, a dear friend of mine, I was taking a female embodiment class and empowerment class. And it was based in erotic movement, sensual movement, pole dancing, striptease, you know, just like this combo, if you will. And she asked me to come to an intro class with her. And I jumped at the chance. I I love movement, you know, all of these things. Let's, let's do it. Absolutely. So I went with her as her guest and she had been taking this class for, I don't know, about a year. She was obsessed with it. She loved it. She couldn't wait for me to try it. Now, what I'm going to say you have to understand is coming from me before 
you know, almost two decades ago. This is, this is a very old version of me, what I'm about to say. So at that time, I saw her as my amazing, trustworthy, funny, smart, honest friend. I did not think she was my sexy friend. <laughs> I judged her as not sexy. If one of us was, if we were both walking into a club, I was the sexy one, right? So we take this class and the class itself was, was, was lovely. It really wasn't anything that I was like, oh, I've got to sign up right away for this. At the end of the class, however, it was one of these things called a girlfriend intro where you're, you brought a girlfriend to class. And then at the end, the existing students, so my friend, was to demo or demonstrate her practice to me. So all of the current students were demonstrating their existing practice to the new people in the room. And that just meant that they were going to turn on a song and these women were going to move their bodies in an unchoreographed way, just organically to the music. And we were supposed to, because there are no mirrors in the space, we were supposed to applaud them and cheer for them. And, and sh- our body's response was to mirror to them how incredible and beautiful and all of those things they were. Within 30 seconds, no, 15 seconds, 10 seconds, five seconds of the music starting, my jaw was on the floor. All of a sudden, this friend who I would have sworn 10 times over I was sexier than was now the sexiest thing I had ever seen on two legs. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was, it was like the whole world just kind of went and it flipped completely upside down. Mm-hmm. And it slammed into me like a Mack truck. And I, I thought, oh my God, what a, what a lie have I been living? And if that's a lie, what else is a lie? I mean, it changed molecularly who I was that moment. So let me ask you something. What was the revelation in that moment? Like, yeah, I get the lie. Like, I get the, the but, but I'm wondering, what was it for you that was the lie? The lie was what I had been sold about what beauty was, ah. about what female power was, yes. about what sexuality and sensuality really was. Okay, so you had like, this is what it is. And then you saw it embodied and you were like, oh my God, like that's not the same thing. It was what had been sold to me, what had been prescribed to me and what my truth actually was. Ah, so good. So good. And specifically around the feminine, specifically around her sexuality and her femininity and her sensuality and her emotionality, all of those things had been almost all but eradicated from my existence. And what were you seeing in her dancing in those moments? What was coming out that you hadn't seen? There was an overwhelming sense of ownership, Mm -hmm. of permission, (laughs) yes, of wild, free, and unapologetic presence. Mm -hmm. And that's very rare (laughs) to see in a woman. 
It is. And I love that you brought up the word unapologetic. I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday, and we were talking about how if women are not verbally apologizing, they're living in their body like an apology. And the apology can come in the form of not wanting to take up too much space. Absolutely. It can come in the form of not extending or shining your brightest because you are in that trance of unworthiness. You are in some ways apologizing for your life, for your essence, for your everything. And I think it's really, really hard. And the way that the conversation came up, Alexis, was we were talking about I was talking about how much money I've invested in myself this year, like as opposed to last year, like my epic brag this year is like, I've even doubled what I invested in myself last year. And my friend's like, oh, you know, like, ah, why do I withhold so much from myself? And it's so funny, because that's what started the conversation of how we can live an apology. And I think that that is hidden still in so many ways. But it's when we can look at the symptoms and see below those symptoms of like what that really is, then then we start to get those big revelations. I call it hoarding. Mm. I call it emotional hoarding, erotic hoarding, sexual hoarding. You could that that term is not just an external term. It actually comes from something internally at first, hoarding. And everything that we do when it comes to hoarding is about staying safe and it's about getting and securing love and safety. So it's totally inherent in women. I mean, our, our primal need for safety, our primal need for protection, our primal need for connection, you know, we're wired for that. But in a world that is, and don't even get me started on all of my studies around misogyny and the patriarchy and, Oh, I'm so going to get you started. I, I mean, believe me, I, I have done a lot of deep digging around that. And it really is something that we have, talk about programming, really unconsciously swallowed that pill. Yes, we have. And living in that matrix is, is a really powerful thing to awaken from. It really is. <laughs> it's fascinating how much this conversation is bringing up for me because the other thing that it, that really is coming in as as you're speaking to this is sisterhood and what sisterhood really is and what it's not and internal misogyny as women you know how we've tended to internalize misogyny not understanding that the way that we behave towards our sisters our fellow sisters is that in fact it's we've kind of we're still living in the programming if we are if the symptoms of you know our normal day-to-day existence are ones of envy of competition mm-hmm. you know of wanting a shiny woman to dim her light rather than wanting her wanting to celebrate her and and hold her up and admire her for you know, daring to shine brightly. Mm. And so I think as women, you know, this, this conversation that we're kind of creating as we go for for our women listeners, I just want to say too, that my definition of internal misogyny is where I have still 
some work to do, let's say, as it relates to the noticing, because I think it shows up in our bodies first, like when a really shiny woman walks into the room and she's fully empowered, fully embodied, sensual. And my immediate reaction is first what I've recognized admiration, like, oh, wow, but then I've been conditioned to kind of become actually jealous. Mm-hmm. And and that's a conditioning pattern that we can uncondition. Absolutely. And and there's so many ways that that shows up. But once we kind of set the context for how we can actually be together in a different way, we start getting that concept of sisterhood and everything kind of shifts. And this is where I think so much is happening in the world as it relates to the work, not only that we're doing, but so many amazing women are circling up and setting that context and that container for how to be together in a new way. And it's so beautiful. I totally agree. I mean, I think Rianne Eisler's book, The Chalice and the Blade. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Oh, I am. Really speaks so beautifully to that dominator versus partnership model. And there is a a breeding ground for that hoarding or for that compare and despair that breeds a dominator model of competition between women. And it's that well, there isn't enough for me. So that means that I'm going to have to fight for it. Mm. And who do I need to fight for it? I need to fight my competition. My competition is that woman over there. And why do we believe that there isn't enough to go around for women? Well, one of my old mentors used to talk about an analogy of a, of a campfire, that there was a masculine campfire And at this campfire, you have all of the men uh, around this campfire. And there's, you know, the closer you are to the flame, the warmer you are, the more hot food there is, the more cold beverages there are, the more camaraderie there is, you know, whatever power there is. And the center of the flame, it's predominantly men, but there's a few women there. Women that either have become little mini men, they would say. Or women who are on the arms of men who have selected them. Mm-hmm. And the further back in the concentric circles that you get farther and farther from the campfire are the women who now are fighting each other for the scraps that are getting thrown to the back or fighting each other for position on the man's arm up closer to the flame, rather than realizing that there's a whole other campfire just right over there for women with everything that we need. And we can all dance back and forth between these two campfires. Mm. And there isn't this, there doesn't have to be this scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset, but we've created this competition because we've accepted from that masculine point of view that we need to subordinate to being second. And as Being in the second position, we're always fighting and jockeying for how we can get to first. Yeah, the lies of scarcity. It's right. The uh, it's so true. I mean, if we were to really look at just these intersecting systems that you're pointing to as well, think uh, about how this ties into even how women are around money, or you know how we are as everything, right? As a society, and 
resources. Ah, and how, you know, you think about patriarchy and capitalism and uh, sexism, the isms, right? But it's, it's this whole kind of based on these lies of scarcity, you know, that, you know, more is better, that this is just the way it is, and that there's not enough for everyone, that those are the three toxic, that's right, kind of myths of scarcity. Well, and what do men, yeah, and what do men war over? They war over resources. Mm -hmm. What's the number one resource in the world? The feminine, the womb, the ability to give life, to create life, Mm -hmm. to renew life. So, of course, we we are to be owned. We are to be dominated. We are to be warred over. There is a scarcity mindset there. There's a power and a domination mindset there. We're the number one resource. So Alexis, I want to go back to what you said earlier about the body as the animal, right? Mm-hmm. And because one of the things that you said as we kind of, you know, thread into this arena is this part about that practice of kind of remembering over and over again, right? To tap in, because I think that that's also that part of conditioning that we were taught to react to versus respond to. Mm-hmm. And that we can see how this continues to be perpetuated in the world as we live in our subconscious or our unconscious, unaware state. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we just saw an incredible magnified example of kind of toxic masculinity out in the world. We are very present to it even to this day. I mean, yesterday, I think my husband was reading the news, which sometimes I'm like, I don't watch it for a reason, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. but I also don't want to live in a vacuum. But he was, you know, just saying like, I think it was like mass shootings in one week or one Mm -hmm. day, like that there were multiple. And it's just, it's, it's so, I, I guess my, my, you know, my conversation wants to segue into what what do you think is kind of going to keep us gathering around that one campfire versus kind of understanding and remembering that there's a new and and well has all been an always existing but i think our instincts and our abilities to now be more evolved and present and aware and awake give us access to understanding in a much deeper way. But we've got some pretty major tipping point problems out in the world that we want to be like, hey, you know, like more women over to this campfire. Like, what do you see as really being important right now for women to know? What empowerment actually is, is what women need to know. There's so much rhetoric thrown around with that word, hashtag empowerment, you know, and sure, there's a there's a touch of me too in there and and all of those things, but empowerment is about choice. Period. Empowerment is about our ability to choose in any given moment. So it's do I choose to let my amygdala run the show and go into fight, flight, or freeze? and be juggling back and forth between my sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and judgment to judgment? Or 
Am I going to activate my medial prefrontal cortex, my executive center, and go into my higher knowing and be able to see that with all things being equal, there's there's just as much quote-unquote good as there is quote-unquote bad in any given situation, that I can just choose my higher values and I get to create my experience and then thereby a world that will serve that, period. Mm -hmm. It's about people taking ownership and responsibility for their choices, for their beliefs, for their behaviors, because it really comes down to one thing. What do I choose in this moment? That's it. That's all any of us, you know, control is an illusion, all of those things, right? All we have is this moment. And what is our choice going to be in this moment? Am I going to go to that campfire? Or am I going to go to that campfire? Do I even have to choose? Can I dance back and forth between both of them? Mm. Right? It really yes. is about awareness. It's our superpower. It's realizing that there are two campfires and not having this limited matrix perspective of what's available to me. And then empowering myself to know that I can choose to create whatever I want. If Viktor Frankl in Man's Search for Meaning can talk about being in bliss while being tortured at a concentration camp, then you and I can choose. (laughs) Such a great point. Yeah. To, in any given situation, create a world in which we're stepping into our higher values of equality. Okay, so what gets in the way of women doing that? I know you have a lot to say on the topic of self-sabotage. Oh, boy, that's a whole other podcast. (laughs) But I mean, there are so many things that get in the way. It's, it's, It's everything from, again, programming from children should be seen, not heard. Uh, children are, you know, girls are such chatty Cathy's and squawking hens. Oh, quit being so dramatic. The, the worst words a man can hear from a woman. We have to talk, mm-hmm. right? It's like mm-hmm. our, our genius or our gift of communication and emotional expression. Again, that's part of why we hoard. Nobody wants to hear our truth or what we have to say or how we have to say it or why we feel the way that we feel when that's inherent to us. That's not freeing. It's not empowering to be told to shut it down. Mm-hmm. You know, but we do. Good girls don't dress like that. Oh, you were asking for it. Mm-hmm. They only say that to women, right? And so, oh, it was the way you were dancing, the way you were dressed, the way that you were talking, that is so heaped onto the feminine and, and not towards the masculine. We have to wear our shirts and God forbid anybody sees our nipples, right? But you can go to any beach or, you know, any stadium and men are ripping off their shirts and it's praise, praise the Lord. So there's just so much to be said about the ways that women are taught to stop themselves, to shut it down, which inevitably becomes a version of sabotage. Now, I'm not, not to say that men don't sabotage should be all sabotage. And we do it because so much about us expressing our truths isn't safe Mm -hmm. because we've been penalized for it in the past when it didn't match somebody else's value system and we didn't have the resources 
to truly love ourselves and to take care of ourselves in that moment and still adhere to our own truth rather than subordinate to someone else's. But all of that said, we sabotage all the time. We sabotage in not asking for support. We sabotage in losing our focus and giving up our vision and our values because we're giving it over to somebody else's. We sabotage because we're not even knowing our own truth, let alone being able to live into it and advocate for it, despite whatever else is going on around us. There are so many ways that we, that we do it. And it's, it's high time that we clear those decks. <laughs> right. And so you've actually created a few different methodologies, would you call them, or approaches or tools that actually help women to do just that, correct? Yes. Yes. So tell me more about, I know you have the path to reinventing you, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So See You Later Sabotage is a webinar that talks about the sneakiest ways that we keep ourselves stuck or that we do subordinate to sabotage. And that is a gifted webinar that anybody and everybody can access. And there's, it's, it's just my gift to people as awareness being our superpower. This is going to give a lot of awareness <laughs> to people. And then that leads into a 21 day reinventing you challenge. Love that. And it's, less than the cost of a pair of jeans and you could change your life. This program, I invested heavily in it and um, I'm all but giving it away because I really believe that anybody who wants support and change should have access to it. I mean, I don't love the word should, but I don't know. I just, I feel really strongly that it needs to be as available to people as possible. It needs to be doable, actionable, accessible, And, and it has to really work, like have lasting results. And so that's what I've tried to create with reinventing you. Why 21 days, Alexis? Why 21 days? Well, I mean, habitual change happens in that amount of time. And so it's, it's a good mile marker to be a launching pad for people. And once they have it, they can use it over and over and over again. Um, there's so, I offer so much in that from movement, meditative movement practices to exercises to tools and tips and resources and all of these things so that, you know, at any point, no matter what your challenge is in life, you have this program, this product to lean on to get you past whatever it is that you're perceiving is in your way because nothing's actually in your way. It's just you. I mean, talk about gratitude and grace. It's true. When I think about 11 years ago, when I went through my whole, like, there was just nothing like this to be found back then. And yet, there's a way that I think there's just the brilliance, right, of being able to, even in the wisdom, you know, of what's happening now, you know, I think a lot of people can think like it's happening to me. Mm. Maybe it's happening for me, you know, that, that actually giving us the opportunity to become aware of some of these alternatives, some of these portals into reinventing ourselves and really looking at honestly about 
where we've been asleep in our lives and where we want to awaken. And that there are programs, like you said, that are less than an, less than the cost of a pair of jeans. And to be able to do that, like at what point in our lives could we have done a 21 day where we, we have the ability to practice? And at this point with other women is just so amazing, right? To be able to have that community, to see it modeled back to us, to be able to circle with other women and really get into that habit of setting that context for a new way of being together. It's just, it's like really pretty profound. It really is. And there's there's no point in time when we couldn't use a reset, a refuel, a remembering about how powerful we are and what we're here to achieve and how we can achieve it. Fulfillment and success on our terms is within our own abilities and capabilities. We just have to choose it. We just have to choose it. Well, I have adored this conversation. And, you know, I'm like, I'm always so disappointed when I realize that we're almost at time because it feels like there, you know, time stops when I'm having a great conversation. And this has just been like, profound and amazing. And I'm so grateful. So I guess my next question and maybe final one, Alexis is like, what, what have I not asked that you might like our listeners to know or that you you know want to tell us about that you know maybe you were hoping was part of this conversation mm. well i mean i i too could just have gone on for hours this was such an illuminating conversation so thank you so much for that i think the only thing that i would want people to know is that i'm also launching something called free body practice with a fellow, a dear soul sister, who's also a fellow master embodiment teacher. And we've created a new movement practice that combines all the aspects of what you and I have been talking about today. And uh, we're really, really excited about this product. I think that we've revolutionized something. We've innovated something in this, in this, it's an embodiment, but meditative. It's, it's literally a soul, body, mind, heart, collaboration wrapped into a practice and it's magnificent and I'm really proud of it. And I can't wait for people to experience it. So be on the lookout for that. Oh, for sure. The embodiment piece is everything. It's so, so, so important. It is our access point to all of it, to be able to just like I'll I think I'm going to have that image in my head all day of the story you told of your friend, because Mm. I think that that's such a powerful witnessing experience for us as women. And it makes me think that that's the type of experience that you've created a little bit that is this free body experience that women who participate would be able to not only embody their own expression of their own radiance and their own freedom within their body, but be able to see it. And I think we have to see it to be it, you know? I I mean, I agree. There's, there's a lot of way in a lot of ways in and seeing it is, is definitely one of them. So it's like, you got to feel it to heal it. You got to see it to be it. I mean, all of those phrases really, really do have merit. And that's why, free trial, money back guarantees on things. I mean, because I, I really, I believe so wholeheartedly in, in what I'm bringing to the world 
in the name of change that um, I'll do whatever it takes to get people to say yes to themselves. I love it. Alexis, I just want to thank you. You know, again, I think your work is incredibly powerful. I didn't know a lot going in to this conversation, but I'm so glad you were a yes to my invitation. And it was such a pleasant surprise to find out, you know, how vast, you know, this conversation can be with you. So we'll be sure to have you back on the show. I would look forward to it. Yeah, because obviously there's so you're a deep, deep well and, and a wealth of information. And I love the way you express yourself. So thank you. Thank you for just well, d- right back yeah. at you. It's like looking in the mirror, sister. Uh, thank you. And to our listeners, you know, to learn more about Alexis, of course, we'll put all of her links in the show notes and check her out. And until next time, more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.